0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. All right, friends, we are back with yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Thank you so much, Fullscale. Uh I am Lauren Conaway. I'm your host and founder of Innovate Her KC. And today with us, we have an incredible thought leader in the areas of women in leadership. Which, if you've ever listened to the show before, you know that that's kind of my jam and I get super excited about it. Uh, So I'm really, really psyched for this conversation. We have with us Katie Steele Danner, and she is executive director of the Greater Missouri Leadership Foundation. And I just, I know that we're going to have an incredible conversation. Katie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Lauren. I am honored to join you. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As soon as they, they gave me you know carte blanche to start inviting people, I was like, who do I want to talk to? And you were well at the top of my list. So so let's go ahead and get started. Um, here, here goes. The first question uh, is going to be just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do with the Greater Missouri Leadership Foundation, and just kind of tell us how you got here in your journey.
1: Okay, well, uh, at our core, really just a part of our complete DNA, the Greater Missouri Leadership Foundation champions women leaders. And we champion them by investing in them, providing them skills, uh, some leadership training, mentorship is uh, very important, and then access to a statewide network um, that they might need to scale their vision for change. And that change could be a change within their work environment, uh, within their community, uh, within their state, within their country, within themselves. Uh, So it's really pretty incredible that um, we're talking today on the hundredth anniversary of women having a uh, full-fledged seat at the table, because that's basically uh, been my life's journey uh, and certainly is what I'm doing now as a part of the Greater Missouri Leadership Foundation.
0: Awesome. So, and you're, now just remind me, you're relatively new to the role. Is that correct? How long have you been with the organization? So,
1: yes, your your memory is good. I am new to the role. I am not new to the organization. Um, the Greater Missouri Leadership Foundation is actually 31 years old. I was in the third class, and by class, what I mean is we have a cohort that meets throughout an entire year, and I was in the class of 1993, and since then have served as a regional coordinator, uh, served on the board of directors. I actually was the president of the board for quite a, a while, and then have just been an active volunteer and the preceding executive director retired and moved to join her family in North Carolina. And I knew I was pivoting in my personal leadership journey and continuing to be the trailing spouse. Uh, we can get into that if you'd like to. How come I've moved all around the state uh, and knew that I was coming back to the greater Kansas City area. And I wanted to be involved with greater Missouri uh, in in a more impactful way. And the door just opened. Uh, they were looking for a new executive director. And I was thrilled that they hired me last September. And we did a left seat, right seat transition as Jan Grossman, the previous executive director, uh, moved into retirement. And then I started this journey in January of this year. So throughout my life, I've I've kind of had a number of very interesting roles. Um, I never expected to be a digital event uh, uh, coordinator to be one of them because this post-COVID world does not allow a women's traveling symposium to actually travel or to gather. So we, as the rest of the world have done, we've pivoted, and yet we're still trying to create opportunities to have women at the table. And um, we, we've we have had some great success. Over 1, alumni, uh, a thousand alumni across the world, actually, um, and we're in our thirty first class this year.
0: That's incredible. And I, I think one of my my favorite pieces of your journey is the fact that first you were a participant in this program, and then you were a volunteer, and now you're a leader. And so you've kind of experienced. This program at every level that's available to you. So I I, I doubt there are very many people who understand it, know it and are as passionate about it as you are. That's a that's pretty neat. It it is neat. And, you know, there's
1: another kind of a fun connection here. Um, the, The Greater Missouri Program actually started as a program called Leadership Texas And Leadership Texas was a group of women who basically wanted to open opportunities for some of their corporate um, journey and also in their communities. And along came uh, Ann Richards, who was elected governor of the state of Texas. And she really embraced the Leadership Texas model and, and actually used it as her notebook full of women uh, to help them to be appointed not only to her cabinet, but to lots of other positions. And a couple of women that were working at the time with a company based in Dallas were transferred to St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, They worked for Southwestern Bell. And when they got to Missouri, they found that the name Leadership Missouri had already been taken by the Missouri Chamber of Commerce. So, they, they met over about a two year time period, just trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of, of a startup, sim- similar to what many of your listeners do, and, and certainly what you've done with Innovate Her. How, how do we you know, put this vision into reality? And they thought what we want to do is create a greater opportunity. And so that's where the name Greater Missouri came from. And it's been kind of funny, some of our um, members that are in the class of 2021, our 31st class, as I said earlier, they don't know that history. They, they don't even know who Ann Richards is. Um, so it's always fun to educate them that we really started with a woman that really was at the pinnacle of her career uh, before she became known to the world by that famous speech she gave at the Democratic Convention. Um, but it was really started
0: by a group of women that got together and said, "How can we make things better?" Amazing, and and so so I mean, of course, I, I've heard of Ann Richards, but it's really uh, really gratifying to know that you know your organization was founded by a woman who exemplifies what you are, what you're trying to achieve. And, and I love that. Now, so, so the question that I, I really, really want to ask you, and I, I don't often have like super, super set questions before I start my interviews. Cause I, I want to, we talked about this before we started, like, I want to talk to you and I want you to lead the conversation. But the question that I had that I, I pre-prepared and really want to ask you is what, what lights your fire about serving women? Like why, why, what's your internal passion that just drives you forward day over day? I guess
1: I have always embraced the power of women supporting each other. Uh, You know, in, in high school, when they say um, we're going to give you these aptitude tests, so we want to kind of learn what your trajectory should be, uh, what you should study in college, what you should go into as a career. My test came back as, You've got lots of skills and lots of opportunities, and you can go anywhere you want to. And I happened to have been raised in a household where I didn't know I had limitations because I was just told, you you can go and be wherever you want to go. I wanted to go to college at Notre Dame. We're we're a big Irish Catholic family uh, in the Kansas City community, and we celebrate that heritage. And by golly, I wanted to go to Notre Dame. Sure. (laughs) At the time, nobody told me you can't go there because, oh, by the way, they don't accept women. And then, of course, by the time I could go, they were accepting women. But of course, I couldn't go there. We didn't have the money for me to go to a college with the tuition that Notre Dame has. So I guess I felt, how can I sort of open some doors? And um, at a very, very early age, I embraced the power of being at the table and particularly having women at the table. And uh, I was really inspired. I was one of those kids that watched a lot of TV growing up. And I I loved like the Jerry Lewis Labor Day telethon because I just loved watching all the entertainment. But I watched cover to cover the national conventions the Democratic convention and the Republican convention. And I was so inspired by Shirley Chisholm when she spoke at the Democratic national convention. I was, I was young enough and not raised in a household that I understood that it was a black woman that was giving that speech. I just knew that it was a woman that really spoke to me and It's just been at my core. Uh, I want to try to bring other women together and galvanize them and inspire them and together uh, try to fight indifference and intolerance and really not work on quote unquote, you know, what's considered women's issues. I think we just tackle major issues from our own unique perspectives and, and all issues are women's issues, but let's get a woman's perspective on it.
0: I love that, and I, I do. I want to add a little little caveat here that you know that watching all of the convention or conventions makes you a little bit of a nerd, right? Yes, I, mean, I luckily We such, love
1: nerds around here. But... I am such. I have the deceptive <laughs> gene. I, I just do. I like politics. Yeah, I, I I've, love it. I've, I've been elected. I've been appointed. I I ran for office. I asked people for money. I put myself out there. Uh, I, I've worked with many, many, many politicians over the years, but I've also worked, you know, in in private sector and with entrepreneurs and with communities. So again, I, I know that I am a nerd, and I know that you know some days people are like Katie, how can you even still survive in this? I, I was elected when I was twenty eight years old. I'm going to be sixty in a couple of months, so I've had a long career um, being sort of. In the public sector, uh, and I just think that we need to have more women that step to power, and it doesn't have to be in the elective office. But by golly, if you have a candidate that you support, you better do what you can to ensure that that candidate gets gets elected, because we can see what happens with the outcome if we don't step up to the plate and 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 take full, take that rightful vote uh, that was won for us, at least white women, a, a mere 100 years ago. Yeah. Not for not for women of color until 1965.
0: I know with the Voting Rights Act, that's actually something that we've been talking about today uh, around the Innovate Her KC office. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. definitely, definitely a, a thinker. So so talk to us. I think. You're, you're kind of burying the lead a little bit here. You've, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but talk to us a little bit about your experience experiences in running for office, being elected to office. Like What, what inspired you? What were those processes like? Um, I, I want to delve a little bit more deeply into that because I, I think that's really, really interesting.
1: Well, we could do a whole program on that. Um, actually, I was not one of those people that someone asked me to run. I saw an opening uh, that the incumbent state representative. I, I was going to college in Kirksville, Missouri. I, I grew up in Greater Kansas City area. I'm a I'm a Northlander, uh, but I went away to college, a college that I could afford. And oh, by the way, I got a my nice scholarship too, to, to uh, Kirksville, Missouri. What is what is now Truman State University, and um, I worked the entire time I was on campus, uh, putting myself through school. I worked in the admissions office. And I happened to uh, be surrounded by some like-minded individuals. I got pretty active in democratic politics. uh, And uh, one of the state representatives at the time had put his name on the ballot. He was going to run for Lieutenant governor. So that opened the state representative slot. And I had taken an unpaid leave of absence from the admissions office to work for Congressman Dick Gephardt's campaign for president. Kirksville is located 30 miles south of Iowa. And when you run for president, or at least it it was true then, it's still true to a certain extent today, you are in Iowa all of the time. And back in the 1988 election, there were 12 candidates running for president of the United States, including Patricia Schroeder, by the way, a woman. Uh, and Dick Gephardt was one of those candidates. I had taken an unpaid leave of absence uh, from the admissions office where I was working to join the campaign because I could travel back and forth from Kirksville. We ran what's called the GEPs RIPs, which was Missourians going to Iowa to do the grassroots organizing that it takes to to win the caucuses in Iowa. And so I really had that, you know, defective gene was really on full display. And um, when the uh, state representative announced he was going to run for lieutenant governor, I went to the president of the camp of the college and said, listen, I'm going to run for office. I, I want to serve in the legislature. I want you to keep my position open until after the primary. And the primary is in August in Missouri if I win the primary, you can fill the position, I won't come back to work. But if I lose the primary, I'd like to come back. I'd like to come back to campus and continue to work with you and and meet your goals and objectives. And he being a very smart man knew that it would be um, a good move to have somebody that had worked with him within his cabinet uh, to be working in Jefferson City. And he said, absolutely, Katie. And um, I did not have then nor uh, now personal wealth. So I sat down, um, with my family and with my friends and said, I'm going to do this. Uh, but everything that I'm going to spend, I'm going to have to raise because I-, I can't write myself a check, uh, with a couple of commas in it to, to fund this. And I'm going to need your help. And I'll be honest with you, Lauren, there were of a-, a group of about 25 people that I visited with two people thought I could do it. Everybody else said I was crazy. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I went on. I won the uh, primary, uh, beat a, a lifelong income or a lifelong resident of the area. I, I told you I was born and raised in Kansas City. So I was sort of a transplant, beat him by over a thousand votes. I won every precinct, every, every, every uh, opportunity there. And then I went into the general election and won by eight votes on November the 8th, of 1988 and uh got seated into the House of Representatives.
0: Katie, yeah. Wow. yeah. You know, so this is always so so this process is always so fascinating for me when I when I talk to women that I have known. Um you know, we we you and I've known each other for a little while now. You know, we've had conversations, we've sat down for coffee, but I I've never heard that story before and I have to tell you I feel like you're very aptly named you know Katie Steele yeah you have a heart of steel at no point did you listen to naysayers and you asked for what you wanted at every step along the way and and that's uh that's really impressive um so well so so round of applause like well thank you you an incredible way to be an example yeah Um, so, so I think one of the things that we talk about on this this show um, is the fact that often women are dealing with things like imposter syndrome and societal expectation. And so, I think it was um, Wendy Doyle of the Women's Foundation who once told me that on average, in order to run for office, women have to be asked three times. Right. You never had to be asked. So, so I'm gonna I'm going to ask you now talk to our listeners. What is a, a piece of advice that you would give a woman who is looking to activate as a leader, whether that is you know, run for office or ask for the raise or you know, look to the promotion? Um, what, what is a piece of advice that you would give them?
1: Well, that's a really good and timely uh, question because, again, to my core, I feel that the future that, that is ahead of us is the future that we create every day. And, and we the, our life begins, I guess, the day that we realize that we only get one life. So create that future um, every day in your workplace, in your family, um, where you worship, your encounters with strangers, uh, your relationship with your friends. I, I think the real work is to just imagine the life we want to be living and then draw it toward you. Um, Reexamine everything that you've been taught. Dismiss um, those things that you don't agree with um, and try to work for consensus on those things that are going to create a uh, better future. That might mean actually running for office.
0: Yes, yes. I, I mean, I think right now Congress is comprised of twenty three point seven percent women in a society where fifty to fifty one percent of the population is women. Like that's that is a a problem that needs to be rectified. You know, our our country's leadership should be reflective of our population. Yeah, right? absolutely it, should be. <laughs> and and
1: that's really how my my greater Missouri experience happened when I did end up being sworn into office. I I was 28 years old. So there's that magic eight again. You can, you can, you know how I buy my lottery tickets, what my numbers, right. Um, the, the incumbent governor of the state, um, had the absolute worst record of every governor across the country of how many women he had appointed to boards and positions. And I found out about, um, greater Missouri that was not really involved with the appointments project, like the women's foundation that Wendy Wendy runs is, but um, was trying to open up and and create um, leadership roles for women. And so I actually went through the program, as I told you earlier, in 1993, I did that as an incumbent state representative. And I did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I realized that although I knew a lot about Uh, the Kansas City region and, of course, a lot about North Missouri. There was a whole other aspect of of the state that I didn't know about and issues were coming before us in the legislature that, that I needed to be better informed. And so that education aspect of the Greater Missouri journey helped me to become better informed. But it also helped me to inspire others to become better involved, even though maybe some of the other women that were in my class or in subsequent classes never expected to be in a leadership role. Um, I'm an an example that unexpected roads can create a meaningful journey. And um, so, you know, there's value in being among people and there's real value in really knowing your community and looking for opportunities where maybe you can step forward and, and create some solutions.
0: Absolutely, I, I like you're talking, and the whole time I'm just you know sitting on my hands so I don't give you snaps or like applaud or stand up <laughs> in here. Um, so 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 I love it, um, and I, I I want to talk now. You know, I I think we've kind of established. A little bit about who you are as an individual like clearly you are just so smart and so capable and so so strong and just you are in a, a fabulous example of a woman leader um but now let, let's talk a little bit about tactics so you know your organization the greater missouri leadership foundation what does what does your programming look like and and how is it meaningful for women looking to activate as leaders yeah, good question. Um, the The
1: programming today is a little different than it was in '93 uh, because, as I as I mentioned earlier, we are, we are meeting now in a virtual environment. Um, communities, you know, can't gather in large groups. We usually have a class of forty women, and the women come from a large cross section, um, not only from uh, academia. Um, solopreneurs and entrepreneurs, many women from the not-for-profit community, women that are working in the corporate environment, um, they're nominated uh, either by their employer or by other alumni. And we widow down those nominations. The board approves a class of 40 and the class meets for the first session in March in uh, Columbia, Missouri and Jefferson City, Missouri. And we begin with sort of an internal analysis of each uh, of ourselves. And we use a program called the Strengths-Based Assessment Tool. And uh, Leanne Taylor-Knight at the DeBruce Foundation, um, who a lot of your listeners will know, Leanne, she actually leads that session as we learn what are our strengths, And then throughout the year, we try to come back to those streaks. How does that knowledge about our strengths and, frankly, our weaknesses help us through this journey? And so uh, while we're in Columbia, of course, we're talking about um, issues that are important to that community. And then we we take a really hard look at um, the judicial, legislative, and executive branches of government. But we do something that most women have never done before. And this is where it really uh, gets a little bit uncomfortable for people. We actually go through the maximum prison that happens to be located in Jefferson City. And we meet one-on-one individually um, with the the inmates. We hear their stories. uh, We listen to them about their journey. uh, And then we take that and sort of say, okay, what's... What's my? What's changed? What did I think I was going to see before I came in here and sat down with these men? And then now has it? How has that changed? And some of the men that we visit with will never ever see any other environment but the federal penitentiary there. So it's sort of a shock, right there, right? Our, our first session is like, wow, this is something I've never experienced before. And then our second session leads us into sort of the urban environment. What are some issues that um, are being faced either in Kansas City or in Springfield? And this year, uh, what we did was take a look at everything through the the COVID lens. Uh, Valerie Nicholson-Watson is one of our very active alums and you may know her as the president and CEO of Harvesters. She went through the program in 2004 And um, she was able to have um, her chief resource officer at Harvesters, who went through the program in 2009, Joanna Sibilian, talk about their challenges of providing nutritious food to anyone that needs it, but in this post COVID world, right? Uh, We had Joan Doherty um, on behalf of Rose Brooks. Um, Susan Miller, who's the CEO of Rose Brooks, was one of our alum from the class of 2001. And they talked about their work to keep families safe, uh, creating a safer uh, community and en- ending the cycle of violence. But they were doing it while having to shut their facility because of COVID and um, actually uh, placing some of their um, clients in some of the empty hotel rooms across the community. Um, so uh, along those lines, we we also had... Um, Wendy um, Doyle spoke with us about the work of the the Women's Foundation. We have partnered with them for a number of years on their appointments project because we do still have that good notebook of women that could be at the the ready to serve um, their communities on boards and commissions. Sherry Turner with the uh, Women's Employment Network and the founder of 1KC for Women was one of our speakers so you, you kind of get the sense um, when we're in uh, Kansas City or Springfield, we, we go back and forth every other year. We sort of talk about those community challenges sort of through the um, what are the services that are provided here, but then also what are some of the solutions. And then our third session um, can really be very eye opening because we go to rural Missouri. And for the last several years, we've actually returned to where I went to college up in Kirksville. And we go on the farm. We, we actually have a women in agriculture panel. Um, we, um, we tour some of the meat processing that is happening in North Missouri, um, in, including a, a hog slaughtering facility. Um, there's also a, a bologna making facility. We look at what's happening with ethanol and then now um, with some of the sustainable energy with all the windmills, uh, the wind energy that is really having an economic impact, and it's very controversial, um, but we we take a deep dive into that, and then our fourth session is what we refer to as our globalization, and that's where we end in St. Louis, and uh, we've come together um, and individual strengths and individual goals. I have everyone do a a 100-goal process where you start out with 100 goals, and by the time we finish in November in St. Louis, they will have widowed those goals down to five actionable goals that they're going to do. And we typically go on the floor and see how airplanes are made at Boeing. Uh, we go into the Emergency uh, Operations Center at Ameren so that uh, you know, when the utility grid goes down, uh, we get a chance to see how that's done. We, we go to Bear, which is one of our big sponsors and longtime supporters. Um, we take a look at um, launch code. Uh, Jeff and Mindy Mazer are big supporters of yeah. ours. Mindy is an alum of our program, and Jeff is always one of our our inspirational speakers. Um, so we kind of find out what's happening with with their entree into uh, tech and, and leadership. And then uh, we graduate the class, and they then join a group of over a thousand uh, alumni that continue conversations. Um, uh, They kind of share their experiences and their thoughts and their wishes and their dreams and their fears about their behind-the-scenes learning experiences. And then we challenge them to take further leadership roles in their workplace, uh, in their community, and uh, hopefully they'll uh, make a positive difference in addressing the problems that they think are important.
0: Amazing, and I—I'm I, just—I have this big old grin on my face as you're talking. First, because you keep on naming my heroes, and you—you you have to stop doing that, uh, because you know you're talking about some of your alums and some of your speakers, and I, there's just this like uh, jolt of recognition every time you say so like Sherry Turner, like huge hero, like w- women who are active and serving in the the women's equity space, like they are it, yourself included, or the people that I. I idolize. Um, and so as you're just kind of, they're just kind of rolling off your tongue. Oh, so casually. And every single time I just like, yes, yay. Oh, I'm so excited. Because these, are, these are the kind of women that you want to create more of. Like if we could clone them, that would be amazing. But as it stands, we're going to have to just equip women who are coming up with the the same frameworks and skills and, and give them the tools that they need to become these kinds of leaders, right? And that's what you're doing that's yeah. what you do every day. Yeah. We're, we're just trying to position women for influence
1: and participation in solutions. And, you know, someone said, was well, this a pipeline for, you know, to, you to run for office and to get other people to run for office? I said, no, that that might be an outcome. But that that's not, that's not necessarily our goal. We, we are a not-for-profit, uh, nonpartisan organization. But we do have a number of people that are serving. Uh, we've got school board members. We've got county officials. Uh, here in, in Greater Kansas City, Crystal Williams is on the Jackson County Legislature. She's an alum of the program. Um, yeah. We actually had a woman, um, you know, COVID. We, we were having our first session in March in Columbia and Jefferson City. And I have five women in the class currently that work for the Boeing organization. And they pulled me aside on day two of our session and said, Katie, this, this COVID thing is causing us to cancel all of our travel for the, the next year. We've just gotten a note. And I'm like, Oh, you know, does that mean you have to leave? And they said, no, we, we can stay here, but, but we don't know that we can go anymore. And That is the day that we're always in Jefferson City. So we had met with a group of women, uh, members of the House and the State Senate. We met with uh, some women on the Missouri Supreme Court. We, We actually had dinner at the governor's mansion and had a number of women from the cabinet come and speak to the class. And the very next week, they closed the Capitol to travelers. So I was like, wow, we really dodged a bullet there. But also, you know, you've got to be ready on the fly. What would we have done with this session? Well, one of the women was so inspired by how all of it had come together. One one of those engineers that works at Boeing, she returned to St. Louis. She actually lives in Florissant um, in North County in St. Louis, which is an adjoining community to Ferguson uh, in the St. Louis area. And she filed for office. And she ran for county council and she beat an incumbent in August. She's she's on the ballot in November. And we didn't know that she didn't she didn't tell anybody until I actually found out about it uh, through another friend that said, hey, I think one of your cohorts is is running for office over here. And so, again, you know, you just you never know what that leadership journey is going to look like. Uh, I don't know if she'll be successful in November, but she likely will be. Um, And and so, again, you know, having a seat at the table can look a lot of different ways. I've got one woman that um, has actually lost her job uh, as a result of COVID. Uh, We have six women that have actually changed careers um, during uh, this COVID and a lot of that has been the whole networking. It, it's it's little appreciated sometimes by women. I think men get this pretty well, but it's sometimes underappreciated by women how well networking can set you up for when you have to pivot or when you need to pivot because your soul isn't being fed by what you're doing on
0: day to day. So just absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and so, so you've actually just fed beautifully into the the next question that I had queued up for you. And, and that question is related to women building their networks. Because I mean, I think you you and I both come from a place where we not only do we understand the power of creating, maintaining, and building a strong network, but I think we we do it. That's what, that's our work. Like networking is part of our work. You know, how do we create systems in which women can connect and strengthen each other through collective, collective action and impact. Right. Right. Um, and so, so I know that you and I are both firm believers in that, but so the, the question that I'm going to ask you is barring, um, you know, inclusion in your program, which I would highly recommend to any of our listeners, like clearly you have built out an incredible program and you, you continue to, to pivot. I think COVID kind of knocked us all for a loop, of course, but you're, you're pivoting beautifully and you're continuing to support women leaders. But, um, if women are not able to, to take part in your programming or the Innovator KC program or anything like that, um, what would be, what would be your recommendation to them like through COVID and through this, this odd, odd time in our history? Well, you know, Lauren,
1: I actually am embracing on some level, this COVID, uh, isolation because, through this digital medium, and kudos to all of those entrepreneurs out there that are, you know, writing the code and creating the new apps and and just opening that digital world to us. Um, because of that, you know, I've been able to dance with a rock head online right? I, I would never, number wait, one, Wait a minute,
0: wait a minute, wait a minute. I wouldn't have
1: had time. And
0: then just expect to move on. What do, you, yeah. what do you mean
1: you danced with a rocket? So they, they're, the rockets because they're not performing, of course, you know, Radio City is shut down. They do online dance classes. And That's so, incredible. I had no
0: idea. I'm making a note of that. I just yeah, that. yeah.
1: So I I would never have been able to dance with a rocket. Although as a child, that was a goal, uh, and I'm tall enough to be able to do it. I just wasn't probably talented enough to be able to do it. But you know, so like um, tonight, I'm going to participate in a um, 100 year anniversary suffragette play that is being hosted by the New York Times. I would never have been able to do that. Amazing! Uh, I I have joined many of the programs that Innovate Her has uh, facilitated, many of which you've been involved with, that have connected me to women that I never would have met. I uh, I don't really come from an innovative background. I, I'm a I'm I, a. I would
0: argue that I I, right? I I think You're very innovative, but yeah. yeah. And thank you, by the way, for your participation. We we, we appreciate you so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I,
1: I'd say to any woman that's curious about getting out there, go for it. Uh, we need to push through um, those imaginary boundaries um, and discover what gives us joy. You know, you you just heard that dancing with the Rockettes gives me some joy. Um, I can't
0: it, imagine how it wouldn't. Like right. a muscle or something. That, right, that and nobody like and nobody
1: so sees fun. me, so it's not like anybody's judging me. You know, right?
0: I think right. I'm as good as the people on screen, so that's cool. Love it. That, yep. that is incredible. Yeah. Well, so so I think that um, that is ending on a wonderful, wonderful note. And as soon as we hop off this, um, I'm going to go look up rockets and figure that out. Uh, but um, before before we close out this this particular episode i want to ask you a question and it's inspired by the conversation that we've had so far but here is your your fun question uh and i hope you like it who who are your heroes
1: oh my gosh that's a whole nother program
0: <laughs> right in the in the interest of of not you know of am saving a little time you know maybe just give us a couple <laughs>
1: Well, I, I mean, I have to I have to embrace, you know, the suffragettes. I mean, obviously, um, I, I that actually... That is a
0: very timely answer, yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I actually started a, a scholarship at Truman State. I, I was the Outstanding Greek Woman of the Year when I graduated, um, and I okay. got a nice pat on the back, and the guy that was the Outstanding Greek Man got a uh, $100 check. And I was like, well, hey, what's the deal here? And they said, well, that's because this gentleman, an alum, um, endowed a scholarship. Um, and so I said, okay, well, I commit to you. If I ever make enough money that I can endow a scholarship, I'm going to do that. And the the men's scholarship was named the Henry M. Boucher Award because that was the gentleman's name. Well, I thought it was a little um, too out there to name it after myself. So I, did, I called it the Katie Award. Um, and this was 20 years ago, by the yeah. way. We've had twenty years of, of women. I'm trying to get the the university to pull them all together for me, but it's named after Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Gotcha. So it's the oh, Cady Award. So I, I I mean Elizabeth Cady Stanton and and, and others um, are are certainly heroes uh, to me. I, I've also had the opportunity to work with incredible. Uh, leaders um, that have been personal mentors to me and I would be remiss if I didn't reference that one of those was Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to be in the room with her um, on a number of, of high- level discussions, including when she said, "Wait a second, did you just say the technology exists that you can you can set off a missile and determine that that missile can go through somebody's chimney? And actually cause that explosion for the target on the other end. Why can't we take that technology and try to beat breast cancer for women?
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Right. So, um, those kinds of stories have really, um, stuck with me. I I've been honored and thrilled, um, to have those doors opened. And frankly, I've pushed through a few of them on my own, um, so I I'm I'm still creating heroes. By the way, I've got eight grandchildren, um, four four lovely kids, and eight grandchildren, and I'm I'm turning them into being little heroes in the future. So yeah, so beyond you know the trailblazing that I'm trying to bring women to the table, I I want to create a, a better world for for my kids and grandkids, but also have them be involved in solving those solutions too.
0: Yeah, well, and I mean I I, I think that you building and and being the architect of your own legacy is a fantastic, fantastic note to close on. Um, you know, thank you Katie so much for being here with us today and sharing of your history and, 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 you know, telling us more about the greater Missouri leadership foundation. This was, this was really great. I have, I've been smiling, just this huge shit eating grin on my face the whole way through. So uh, thank you so much for that. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And and listeners, thank you for taking and carving some time out of your busy, busy schedules to listen to yet another episode of the Startup Hustle Spot podcast. Today's episode of Startup Hustle, once again, is sponsored by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Keep in mind, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Startup Hustle Podcast if you want to stay abreast of all of the new news in Startup Hustle world. And keep an eye out for our YouTube channel. We will catch you for the next episode. Talk to you later.